Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Back to Trigger Podcast. I'm James Rooster Bowen here with Justin Martin. And today, if you haven't been watching the news, there we're going to be talking about the East Palestine, Ohio train incident. Uh, it's all over the news about the chemical spill, the, the vinyl chloride, the burning of the waste, the hazardous material aftermath. So to talk about, we brought on our uh, rail expert, the host of Railroad Talk, Joey Cobb. Yes, you're an expert, Joey. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'll try to do my best. That's about it. Uh, Industry veteran is a yeah, that's right. prefer. Yeah, that's right. Industry veteran. <laughs> that's a conversation for another day, but, you know, to be professional, uh, it's, right. it's, it's a mess. Uh, incidents are going on. Me being a former member of the conspiracy theory community, it's uh, all over the back channels of what quote unquote is going on. So we're going to just uh, clear the slate, get some truth about it. Uh, what happened before the accident, what's happened after the accident, the proper procedure is of handling a rail hazardous material incident. Joey, you've uh, lived that life for several years on board a train uh tell us what you know so far what's going on down there yes yeah, so the, so the biggest concern when it comes to this uh, derailment in ohio is you know how did it occur how, what what were the steps leading up to it that probably happened and um like i was mentioning earlier the biggest problem that i have seen while i was at working for norfolk southern and actually even talking to carman and even trainmen any type of T&E and mechanical employees, they'll tell you that, you know, they're not allowed to uh, do their proper railcar rail inspections properly. Um, when these trains come inbound, um, it's, it's either them bleeding off the air, getting ready for the train to hump, hump the train, which is just sorting the train in the classification yards and, or um, on their outbound uh, inspections, it's them lacing the air hoses and getting the air test done completely before the uh, crew gets there so they can get going. If, if there's any type of, you know, cars that need to be bad ordered, I have seen personally train masters and uh, yard masters tell the carmen, no, we're not going to bad order those cars because it's going to take too much time to get that car set out um, and we got to get this train rolling. And, and uh, you know, this was brought up in the STB hearings back in April of 2022 where uh, one of the mechanical guys pretty much said that, you know, the, his superintendent told this man that we don't get paid to repair rail cars. We get paid for moving freight. And, uh, mm. you know, I had a guy comment, uh, made a comment last night on Facebook saying he was a carman for 20 something years and he hasn't done a proper rail car inspection over 17 and that's dangerous. And, and that's, I think where the problem lies. And I wish the NTSB FRA STB would just sit outside these rail yards and just have a radio and just listen to how these guys are rushed and they can't do their jobs the way they're supposed to and the way they're trained. One thing I was I had learned, it was kind of shocking to me uh, looking into this. Uh, they uh, they only have like nine, what, 90, 90 seconds per car to quote unquote yeah. properly inspect them. I, yep, uh, that's right. I, I've been a truck driver for 16 years. It takes a lot longer than 90 seconds to do a proper workaround of a tractor trailer. I don't know what right. I don't know what it would take to properly inspect a rail car. Yeah, I would I would just with my experience from being a car man years and years ago, I would I would say at least probably if you want to do it correctly, I would say 
either double or triple that. Just because you have your combined wheel gauge, you need to check wheels for thin flanges if they're, if they're you know, a certain width. Uh, then you got to check brake rigging and all that stuff, brake cylinders, uh, retainer valves, all that crazy, you know, and, and of course your journals and your wheel bearings, make sure they're not discolored or anything. Because I would be willing to bet that the, the wheel that came apart on the Ohio derailment uh, was probably screaming hot when it came into the yard. And it, so it would have been discolored, even though it would have been cooled off, it still would have had a discoloration. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I would be willing to bet that this train was probably inspected at night and the car man didn't even think anything about it because he's just in routine now because he know he can't, he can't inspect it right. He's probably just lacing air hoses and going down the track. So uh, mm. if he had had the proper time, he probably, hopefully, I'd like to say he could have called it. When a rail car like this goes back into the yard, so to speak, you know, I'm by no means a rail expert, but I, I, I'll, I'll try to go at this from like the trucking angle. Um, so different companies you work for, like say if you're local, um, even if you don't catch something that night or say you do, you know, that at least you've got like a maintenance crew that works there that will take care of it as well. Yeah. Say, a, say a rail car, you know, they, they spot a problem on there is like, what kind of crew do they have there to, to get anything actually fixed? Yeah. So, you know, typically most yards have a, we call it the bump job, which is really just, it's just a yard job that does the rat killing, I guess, so to speak uh, for the yard. And so if you come in with a problem and you're, run out of time, run out of hours. Uh, typically that yard, that yard job will go and handle whatever issues you have, you know, set the bad cars out or, or, you know, do whatever needs to be done. But if, uh, it's hard to catch stuff on the road, that's, that's bad unless the detector gets you a course. But like I said, I, I would be willing to bet that this journal, there's no way this journal or bearing, I'm not exactly sure which one it is yet. I've heard both. Uh, but I bet it was, it was hot previously. So what? I'm sure someone saw it. Let's go into the, the hot box detector. That's the device that's set on the rails that uh, that measure that looks at the axles, and if it's hot, it sends an alert. Uh, how do those work? Mm-hmm. And uh, no, what what? How often do they, these uh, hot box incidents happen? Uh, hot boxes are pretty common. Um, now, from my understanding, I'm not exactly an expert on how they work. I'm sure obviously it detects some type of heat somehow, but hot box detect. I mean, a lot of people get hot boxes, especially if you're on a hilly terrain, uh, kind of like we were in Memphis and, and going to Chattanooga. And the reason being is you get a lot of sticking brake shoes whenever. So engineers hate using air. <laughs> and the reason being is typically, typically when they, when they apply the brakes and they knock them off, you're always going to have a brake shoe that sticks somewhere. So then 10, 15, 20 miles down the track, you get hit with a detector and you've got to go back there and, and, uh, you know, fix the, you know, fix it. And, and, uh, so they try not to use air. And so the, the hot box detectors are pretty common. I've had several, I think I mentioned it last in the last podcast where I had to go back and tighten down that handbrake as tight as I possibly could and pop it off three or four times and finally get the slack adjuster to release. Um, but they're, they're common and typically, you know, how we had it happen in the past with once the, um, the detector detects the whichever wheel it'll tell you which axle that is that's that has you know tripped that detector uh the engineer will will do his uh, operation safe train handling bring it to a stop and that's where the uh conductor and engineer contact dispatch say hey we're stopping real quick we've got, just got a detector and uh conductor takes off walking starts figuring out what the issue is and they you know based off the axle count you know exactly which car it is so you just take off walking so wait a minute. They have air. So they have air brakes, obviously on on trains. Mm-hmm. We have air brakes on on trucks, but like 
that's 99% of uh, <laughs> the braking that happens in a semi. If I am too hesitant to ever, you know, hit my brakes because I'm afraid that my wheel's going to lock up, like, is is that like a design flaw or are these systems just so damn old and poorly maintained that like, that's just the risk that comes with using that kind of equipment? I think it's maybe a little bit of both actually. And, you know, the engineers will try to use their dynamics as much as possible. And, you know, that dynamics is probably the, I don't know if it's the safest way. I just know the way that I've always rode with, because the engineers, they love using dynamics. It just keeps them from ever using air and uh, it just allows them to keep things going smoothly as where air is kind of unpredictable for them. What do you mean by, what do you mean by dynamics? Yeah. So dynamic brakes is just a, uh, just another braking mechanism for the, for the, um, for the engineers to use. And from my understanding, I was told that dynamic brakes on a train or the best way I was explained to how it worked was, is, uh, imagine the wheels are rolling one way and imagine the, and I don't even know if this is correct. Someone will probably let me know real quick in the comments. But uh, I was explaining that the wheels are rolling forwards. Imagine a super strong magnet rotating the other way. And it's it's a crazy sound it's, and it's a crazy feeling. But typically, from my understanding, that dynamics, whenever you the engineer has a dynamics on, it slows the engines down. And you can actually feel the slack of the rail cars when it's coming over a hill. You can feel it pushing a train going down the hill, but the dynamics catches it and goes it back. And this... You know, it's based off amperage, so the the you got eight notches, which is full throttle, and you can they just work it up, and when it hits number eight, it's really screaming, and it's and it's holding the engine back and holding so the like, rail car back. It's like the jig brakes on it. Yeah, but yeah, basically so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The problem the problem with that though is is you got that much weight behind you. Yep. You're only slowing the engine down. You're not slowing. The, right. the trailers there with it too. That's why they always tell you in training, like don't use your jig brake in in wet conditions or, yeah. or snow and ice yep. because sure your truck will slow down the cab will slow down but that trailer is going to be swinging right behind yeah, you yeah that's right yeah and and uh, those the dynamics it's surprising for for the most part every train i've ever been on the dynamics can hold the weight of the train um mm. besides with a few exceptions and and those few exceptions the engineer that i worked with he actually stopped the train applied the brakes with dynamics stopped the train once we got stopped he knocked the dynamics off and then he drug the train down the hill with the air still applied because we couldn't get stopped. It was such a heavy, uh, just a mixed freight train and a lot of trailing tonnage. And he was scared. We had to stop signal at the bottom of the hill, of course, at the bottom of the mountain. So he just actually drug the train down the hill. <laughs> yeah, the, the weight involved. I just when when I'm up and down I'm up and down the hills, you know, anything over like thirty thousand pounds in the trailer, mm-hmm. and you got a six seven percent grade. It's like okay, this yeah. is going to be a, a fun little ride. Yeah. You guys are dealing with like millions of pounds. Yeah, yeah. The, the heaviest one I've ever stepped on was uh, it's loaded coal train, of course. And I know the grain trains are typically a little bit heavier, but loaded coal trains are around nineteen thousand tons or so, so almost forty million pounds. <laughs> yeah, a lot of weight. You would you would think with that much weight, they would have like better systems. Yeah. Now, but what a lot of the criticisms I see online, um, and again, these aren't these aren't people on these aren't people in the industry. These, these are just randos, kind of screeching at the sky but mm-hmm. they're saying that the, their trains are still using like civil war era yeah, technology i believe it yeah now, is, is like that really the case or is it just a a, a case of um if it ain't broke don't fix it uh that may be the case because i don't know in, when i was a car man we had a train bnsf had a, a train for their coal trains that was called a, a ecp which is electronically controlled pneumatics um and we had that train and we did all the work to it and had it, you know, rigged up and set for BNSF and they hated it. 
and it, you know electronically controlled i guess it's just not the same to the old head engineers that they actually want to feel how much air you know they're they're pulling out whenever they turn you know turn the automatic brake and uh, they were having problems and they pretty much told us to go back to the old standard pneumatic brake system so we took all the fancy electronics off and put the old stuff back on that's how they wanted it so i guess it's uh more of a it's not broke don't fix it so <laughs> well okay but as we're seeing now shit does break yep, that's so, right um let's dig a little more into this uh train derailment yep. what did what do you from your outside or your i guess inside perspective ten thousand feet view when you see an accident like this in the news what's like the first thing that pops in your head of like oh they should have done xyz yeah the first thing that pops in my head um when I first saw the derailment, I figured, I actually made an assumption on the video that I posted. And my assumption was a thin flange picked a switch. Maybe it was a crossover switch. So you have like two main lines. And then uh, there's two switches that cross over to each main line. Um, I figured if it was a thin flange or it was, uh, I even said wheel bearing or a journal, I believe, in the video. So I somehow I guessed that correctly. But I always, I always jump to mechanical failures. And, that, and the reason being is I know that the mechanical department can't do their job. And I, I hate to say that, but. Uh, I've known it to be true for a while and I just know that, you know, it's just like anything. And if you don't take care of it, eventually it's going to break no matter what it is in life. And if these rail cars aren't taking, being taken care of, um, you know, they're just going to break. And, and from my understanding, um, the carriers love to see um, privately owned rail cars. And the reason being is if, if the, you know, if, if a privately owned rail car is what caused this derailment, the care the customer that owns that rail car could be held liable from my understanding that could be completely wrong but hmm. um but you know ns didn't have to worry about taking care of doing maintenance on those rail cars because typically those customers will have that uh contractor somewhere that needs to do it for them but um that's that's a, a flaw in the system in my opinion uh that that needs to be addressed and i have screamed and shouted at the uh, ntsb and the fra about this for the past week or so really hard and um but yeah the first thing i go to is mechanical department for sure because very rarely do you see a derailment happen due to operations these engineers know what they're doing they're experts in their craft and they do it every day multiple times a day sometimes and uh yeah i immediately jump to mechanical failures no so do you know if that's the case in, in this situation yeah well i don't i don't know the exact i don't know exactly what caused uh the journal or bearing to eventually go out. Uh, you know, hopefully the NTSB will release some type of report. I think we got probably four or five more weeks, I guess, before we get the first report. And then you have several years before the final one's released. But uh, that was going to be my next question yeah. is how long does it typically take yeah. for a report like this? Yeah. Typically NTSB, they'll release the, like the preliminary report. I believe it's after 46 weeks. And then like the, the final report is typically released within, I think they say it's released within, um, 12 to or maybe things said 16 to 24 months so we're looking at two years now so i'll be sure and set a reminder on my calendar (laughs) yeah well so the 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 footage that's come out is just insane like you see these black huge black plume clouds coming up out of the sky out of the ground into the sky and one thing that really annoys me is people think that that was caused by the accident right but it was actually intentional yeah the epa epa gets on scene and these rail cars are under immense pressure. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so much, so much chemical in these containers that, you know, if they were to go all at once, yeah. you know, you're looking at an even bigger disaster oh, yeah. than what we're dealing with right now. And one of my favorite quotes um, from Thomas Sowell is there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Ah, yeah. And when you have a situation like this, you got to make a split second decision of like, okay, are we going to 
let this thing leak out? Are we going to try and light it up right now? Like, what what can we do to get like the worst possible situation? Right. And of course, obviously, hindsight being twenty twenty, it would be you know never let a situation like this happen right. in the first place. Right. But um, no, that those chemicals are lit up on purpose right. to try and mitigate an even bigger disaster. Yeah. Um, the the theory that I've or reporting I've seen right now is that. Um, they laid, they laid out two explosive charges, one on top and one on bottom, mm-hmm. and they were going to let the, the top go off first to release the pressure. Then they were going to l- blow off the bottom of the containers to drain out the liquid into a trench. And then they're going to essentially dig 30 feet down, get rid of the top soil 30 feet down and dispose of it because that that's just completely contaminated. Right. Um, is that pretty much what you've been hearing too? Yeah. The only thing that I list or, or watched from the NTSB, they had their little report and they were talking about, I think one of the ladies asked, she was like, why are, why are we burning this stuff or something along those lines? And of course he, he didn't mention anything along those lines. He was just talking about the pressure relief valves on the tank cars, how, you know, they're designed to, to release pressure. And, and he said that it was burning from some of those valves itself. And, in, you know, it's, that's that's really the only thing that I've heard, and and you know I know that stuff. If it did go boom all at once, you would have some some serious, pretty serious explosions, and uh, that's really the last thing you want when you have like, like there are houses like right right behind these tracks. It's pretty wild, and apartment complexes too. That's just sitting right there next to the tracks, and you know I know it's a designed. Those tank cars are designed to leak, you know, pressure so they don't blow up. Um, but but it would not surprise me at all if you know because. I mean, what do you do in that situation? Really? Like, you can't let it blow up like that. So you have to burn it and get rid of it and get rid of the fuel. It's you know, so to speak. So, yeah. uh, I just, I just wish there was a little bit more transparency about like the whole process because yeah. right now it's literally everything's metaphorically and, and literally up in the air. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Actually, uh, yeah. Sorry, so go ahead. Semi-breaking news. Uh, I actually got an NTSB press release that was sent out yesterday. Uh, talking both about the axles and the pressure relief valves. Uh, I'm going to read it out. Uh, mm-hmm. it's two parag- Well, what I'm reading out is about two paragraphs. Uh, NTSB investigators have identified and examined the rail car that initiated the derailment. Surveillance video from a resident showed what appeared to be a wheel bearing in the final stage of overheat failure moments before the derailment. The wheel mm-hmm. set from the suspected rail car has been collected as evidence for metallurgical examination. The overheated the suspected overheated wheel bearing has been collected. Will be examined by engineers from the NTSB Metals uh, Materials Laboratory in Washington D.C. The vinyl chloride tank tank car top fittings, including the relief valves, were removed and it's, are secured in a locked intermodal container pending the NTSB examination. Once the fittings are examined by investigators, they'll be shipped to Texas for further testing, which will be conducted under direction of the NTSB. So uh, they pretty much said right there what we've just said of possible uh, failure points, the wheel bearings and pressure relief valves not uh, activating properly to calm those tanks off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's a pretty big deal. I, I know, I know that I remember that that uh, news article or that news video I was watching. They said that the water is discolored but can be drank. I was like, no thanks. I'm not, <laughs> not drinking that. Anytime I see a report like that, I'm like, okay, yeah. you first. Yeah, yeah that's that's right. exactly. I mean, Hand no the way. big glass of water to the guy and say, hey, are you drink first, pal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Talk to yeah. me in about a year. That's right. Yeah. When you get a, a third I'm, eyeball. 
<laughs> I know it's complete fiction, but there's that. I think it was Aaron Brockovich, a movie where they're like, you know, in a meeting with a bunch of lawyers and they're they got like glasses of water out there and they're all sipping away and talking about what a disaster this whole thing was, but it's not really a big deal. And then at the end of the meeting, Aaron's like, oh yeah, by the way, the, the, the water we've been drinking this meeting has been, is, is from the town. And you just see like them like, oh, oh. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, complete speculative fiction, but I, I we need a scene like that That's right. um, in these kind of situations. So, okay. So just from that report there, I mean, what, How's it looking for the crew of the of that train then? Uh, I mean, and I know honestly, I think that the crew should be okay uh, when it comes to investigation. I don't think anyone should be pulled out of service or fired. Um, uh, you know, from like I was mentioning earlier, I was informed of what happened with the crew on that train uh, by someone. Uh, I'm gonna say within that district of that of that train. Um, and from my understanding, uh, they reached out to me and, and, and sent me a message and told me basically what happened. And, and, uh, you know, that, that crew, uh, saved lives, which is the biggest thing, the biggest argument that, um, that I have been screaming and standing on. And, and I'm a, like I mentioned in my video, I'm a beat this dead horse as long as I possibly can. And, and that's why we need conductors on the head end, uh, regardless of what these, uh, carriers you know, talk about an expediter roles and as that's not going to work. If there had been an expediter role in this case, people would be dead. Um, there's no doubt either the engineer would have died or innocent civilians within that city of Palestine or Palestine uh, would have died. And uh, so basically the process of what happened from my understanding is, is uh, the crew was rolling down the track like they're supposed to, and they hit a detector. And uh, once that detector went off, they got a hot box, detector and the engineer was uh just doing just like any other day just go ahead and start decelerating uh safe train handling stopping the train you know safely and uh before the train could get stopped the the wheel bearing that the uh the ntsb is referring to uh collapsed so i guess it's just a weird case of a really odd timing of how they just happened to hit a detector and then the wheel came apart um uh, so he said that they were uh, trying to stop the train, you know, the right way, and uh, that's when they went into emergency. Uh, they said that they uh, they got down off the engine and started to walk back towards the derailment, or started, you know, going back towards where they thought the derailment was. And they said that they noticed uh, tankers on the ground and they saw a fire. Um, so after that, after that, he they went back up to the head end um, and uh, contacted the proper authorities about the. Uh, derailment and fire and he said based off their train consists they knew about the area it was at so they knew they were dealing with hazardous materials um and then they uh, got back down i think the engineer proceeded to uh, contact uh, the the numbers that the conductor has i forgot the name of the book but it's on their phone now it actually gives you the cell phone number of who to call proper authorities to call and they tell you how many miles to evacuate based on wind speed um but the uh, conductor got down and actually uncoupled the engines from the train so they the whole crew got to safety and um you know so and and they contacted the proper authorities and in the in the video that i made in the news uh the lady interviewed uh she said that her grammys was um uh, interrupted i guess she was watching <laughs> the grammys and it, and it got inter- you know it got interrupted and the, and the interruption was saying get out of your town now like don't wait get out and yeah they did like a whole reverse 911 call yeah. for like the, the immediate area. yeah and that, and that's that's great to see because 
you know, she was upset that it interrupted her Grammys, and I understand. And she was worried about her house and when she can can she go home, and I understand that too. But from a conductor standpoint, I'm just glad that she's alive. And you yeah. know, and and um, you know, from my understanding, there has been no one hurt, no reported injuries on this derailment, and it could have been a lot worse. And uh, you know that thankfully the conductors and uh, engineer they're trained and and we're ready for for this to happen. And they you know like a, like a told them that they saved lives so that I, this right here is a big argument to the unions and to the carriers is why we still need to have conductors on the head end regardless of what train it is so okay you said there was it was a crew of three guys should there have been more uh, crew, or I, do you think do you think three was enough sh- in this situation and honestly i wish we would have we go back to the old days and bring a caboose back and have five to six seven man crews with firemen's and and a brakeman's utilities but uh, we know that'll never happen but um you know if there was a crew of three, and it, from my understanding, it took all three of them to get to to get done what they got done, which is uh, engines uncoupled and they're they're safe. And then you had other guys up there on the head end calling the proper authorities and engineer doing his thing and talking to the dispatcher. So a lot was going on in a really short amount of time, and I think that's that's the difference between someone getting hurt or getting killed and nobody getting hurt and killed. And and uh, you know, I would like to see more people on the train just because. It helps with operations. Um, when it comes to switching rail cars, if you have two or three people there with you, it, you can turn an hour and a half long switching maneuver into like 15 minutes. And uh, that just seems to be put on the back burner. You know, efficiency and customer service has been put on the back burner for the past, oh gosh, I don't know, I guess since the early 2000s. And it's now more about uh, money, really, is all it, all it boils down to. Yeah, the, the money thing is really... Um... The crazy part here, uh, our friend and colleague Rachel Premack just put out an article yesterday about you know the potential um, monetary impact this is right. going to have on Norfolk Southern, mm-hmm. and it's basically going to be nothing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, it's going to be a parking. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Um, let me read the details here. It says Bank of America says that Norfolk Southern may have to pay forty to fifty million dollars in a quote casualty charge mm-hmm. uh, in twenty twenty two. They made twelve point seven billion dollars in revenue and three billion dollars yep. in profit. So the high end of that fifty million dollar charge would be one point seven percent of its profits. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing, nothing, yeah, nothing at all. Yeah, I was reading the insider article. It's like it, it dumb when this happens. It's like uh, Norfolk Southern's going around giving out a thousand dollar inconvenience fees for people that have been displaced and. Uh, <sighs> Personally, I would not accept money on anything like this until after a court case has been settled. Not because you never know what you're <clears> signing <throat> off when you take that money. Yep, that's right. I would not be surprised. The, the they think they're slick. I will tell you that they think they're smart, and I hope people read this fine print of that because I guarantee you it'll be something on the lines of: if you accept this money, you can. We're not going to be held li- liable in the future, and and who knows what's going to happen five years from now. From the from the contaminated air, contaminated water, who Lord knows what else is content, you know, contaminated. Um, and you know, this, like I said earlier, this right here probably more than likely could have all been avoided if they would allow the professionals of car man and mechanical department to do their job. And they just unfortunately they just have not been able to for years and years. So hopefully that is addressed very very soon. Okay, so last time we had talked, we kind of dug into like current 
Yeah, there was all that threat of like a real strike mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And at the time, it wasn't even the money that was, you know, something we try to get across to people. They're not striking because they're not getting paid. <clears throat> they're paid very well. Right. And most would even begrudgingly agree to that. Yeah. It was the quality of life yep. and time at home mm-hmm. and scheduling it. So um, how, how, how have things changed since, you know, the, the strikes basically <laughs> were, 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 yeah. were, were crushed? Uh, from, from my understanding, really not much has changed at all. You know, they were kind of... Uh, you know, they were forced to take this agreement that was presented um, and, and and that that was down. That was from Biden administration. Um, he pretty much came in and uh, pretty much told him you have to take this agreement and stop the guys from striking. So he's you know, it, it's a hard decision, I guess, if you're in his shoes. What do you do? Do you allow a rail strike that's going to cripple the economy or do you not? Do you force these guys to take the agreement? But. Um, you know, the strike's not going to happen. The agreement's been put in place. Uh, they got pay raises, but the quality of life issues wasn't addressed. Now, the good thing is, is CSX, uh, Hen- Hendricks, what's his first name? I can't remember his first name now, but the new CEO of CSX, Hendricks, has, um, he'd done something pretty cool. He actually gave some sick leave days to the mechanical department in CSX. So mm-hmm. he's the first one to actually try and better, you know, make the quality of life issues better. And he's also trying to fix the, this, uh, you know, bury the hatchet, so to speak, between management and uh, the T&E and mechanical departments in the, in, the, in the railroad world. So I think he's making the first good step. I had high expectations when he came in, and there's no way that he's not going to give the T&E guys uh, some type of sick leave also if he's going to give the mechanical department. So I see that coming in the near future. He's probably working with the, with the unions, uh, trying to get that settled and how they can do it correctly and, and not, uh, you know, not, not wear themselves too thin or spread themselves too thin. So hopefully that's coming down the line, but yeah, nothing for the other companies as far as quality of life. You know, it's, nothing's been addressed. So kicking, kicking it, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we're going to throw some money. So that, the, that's the company side. How are things with the union side? Because I've been saying from from that whole situation, like everybody in a leadership position needs to go. Yeah. If I if if I was a dues paying member, obviously I'm not. So this is just me talking on my on my yeah. butt. But like, if I was a dues paying member, I would be doing everything in my power to get every single person in the leadership position out immediately. Yep. Uh, I think from a union perspective, I know so I haven't I haven't talked uh, or even read up much on on uh, Jeremy Ferguson and all of them, uh, but you know Jeremy's been fighting for a long time. I think he's doing a great job. It's just uh, he hasn't been in there that long, so he's just trying to do the best he can with when he walked into this mess. The BLET, I believe, got a new uh, head honcho over there, so he's trying to do his deal. And I think they're when they had their argument with the FRA with the two man rule. Uh, meeting with the FRA not too long ago. Uh, they had some great arguments. And then, you know, the government actually voted when Nancy Pelosi was still in, in there. They actually had a uh, uh, a bill that was going to be put in place to give T&E employees, transportation railroad conductors, engineers, seven, I think it was seven paid sick days a year. And uh, they shot it down. And it and it's course, absolutely insane. Of course they have. Yeah, they they shot it. Of course they have to because with with you know so we're, we're going to talk a, a bit about this um, precision rail scheduling. That's it's impossible when you have crews stretched that thin. You literally do not have you have anyone to you know say somebody calls out sick. Mm-hmm. There's no one else to right plug someone in that place. That's right. Yeah, and it was it was just it was just a bad deal because there was uh I think there was one and I, I try not to get political but. At the end of the day, when this this comes down to to politics, Ted Cruz was, I think, was one of the few Republicans that voted yes for seven paid sick days. The rest of them were like, "Nope, it's not happening." And mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that is just 
I don't know. And Tommy Tuberville and the, and the senators and Republicans here in Alabama, me and him, we have talked several times about this issue, and it's, it was just a slap in the face. Like, you know, the next time you want to go golfing or you want to go do something with your family, no, you're coming to work. You know, that's what I want to tell him. You know, you don't get off days then. If we can't get off days, then you don't get off days. <laughs> it is what it is. I think I, I think it. Uh, that's going to change hopefully very soon. I think Henrik's is uh, setting the bar here. Uh, CSX has really been taking some because CSX and NS that, they're the two biggest competitors here on the East Coast. Uh, they're going back and forth. So CSX is up starting pay for conductors to 100 percent, as where NS is starting conductors at 80 percent top out pay. And now with you know sick leave coming down the track probably for transportation guys at CSX and NS not having anything, um, NS better get their crap together. Is all I got to say. Alan Shaw better open his eyes. <laughs> Well, just you know, all I, I all they gotta do is look at how many people are applying or, yeah. or with, with the hiring rate and turnover. Oh man, turnovers you know, are it's, crazy. It's, un, it's it's unsustainable. Yeah, that hasn't been improved at all, has it? Yeah, no. And the turnover's probably gotten worse, in my opinion, honestly. Yeah. No, this this um this whole like rail strike being busted, I, I think that was like pretty demoralizing. Yeah. To a lot of the guys on there, some of the discourse I was reading online was you know they their hearts were in the right place, and you know obviously some of the more like insane fringes were, were, were really hoping for like a strike and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm telling them like, you guys, just, you guys weren't cynical enough. Right. You know, when, when the executives got out there and they said that the labor did not contribute oh, at yeah. all to our profits. Yeah. My God. Yeah. I used to work with like old Jimmy Hoffa guys at the post office. And I, I would say, I'd send them these articles and I'm like, Hey, what do you guys think of this? And they're like, dude, back in our days, we would have taken cutting torches to every yep. single wheel <laughs> car and every single, every, every, every mile of track. Yep. For the entire East Coast. <laughs> yep, that's right. Yeah, some some of those guys in the past they were they were brutal, and uh, yeah, I, I can, and you know it's funny thing is of uh, most of the executives now will say that we did not say that we we didn't say it. it's it's in it's in the Alpha David I'm pretty sure is what it's considered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's there. You said it. That's just, you know, their capital investments is what makes money. No, I'm sorry, but your capital investments probably makes you money, but the most of it comes from your transportation and mechanical guys working together to get the job done that's okay car, car i mean it's it's going to come back around karma's real and, and these guys know and they can pretty much hang it up for any of these guys going above and beyond to try and help that company out whatsoever unfortunately shouldn't be like that because a lot of those guys aren't that way but they're kind of forced to be that way well and it's and it's unsustainable because you know Okay, like any any kind of any kind of organization like this, where like shit's going sideways, you'll have a hierarchy of like all the senior guys. They've done their time. They're just trying to get in and get out mm-hmm. and keep the retirement. Then you got the young guys that are going to be the ones stuck holding the bag, so to speak, yep. to try and fix all this mess. But at the C-suite level, I don't understand what the thinking there is. Like, are they are they just trying to do the same thing, just grab as much as they can and get out before they can get blamed, or or do they just like not? Or again, like with Rachel's article, are we just not being cynical enough where they're just like, yeah, this is just the cost of doing business? Yeah, I don't know, man. I guess that's just where I wish our uh, our government agencies would really step into play and look a little bit harder. I wish the STB had a little bit more power to investigate further what's really going on and, and their policies and practices, so to speak. And No, I'm, I'm going to be even more cynical. Here's how cynical I can go with that. The more power you give them, the more you're going to get those former C-suite guys uh, working. Yeah. In that organization, so it's it's going to be it's it's just like the pharmaceutical industry. It's, yeah. it's going to be a revolving door where, you know, one executive now works as a lobbyist, and the lobbyist becomes an executive. And yeah, just that's true. Back and forth forever. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. That's 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 the problem. You know, it all boils down to money. 
We we are not doing anything to help the um, doom and gloom reputation of, of freight waves. Yes, <laughs> yeah, <that's> true. <laughs> I, I I see. I don't know. I, I had a guy ask me. Uh, I think it was two. Yes, it might have been yesterday. Actually, he asked me what did I think about the rail industry looking forward. And I said I think it's looking up. And the only reason I said that was is because of Hendrix at CSX with sick day and pay increases. Um, I mean, that's the first you know blip going up that we've had in in years. Um, you know, minus, you know, cause I had the massive furloughs and I, Oh, we're going to hire again. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got called out. So now you have to hire, but, uh, they're still worried about operating ratios. And then if you just listen to like the investors, uh, speak or the investor meetings for these railroads, they talk about trying to, trying to fix their customer relations. Well, the only way to do that is with efficiency and uh customer, you know, making sure you're actually getting the job done. So that means you have to hire more people and, uh, so things are start. I think things are looking up, but at the end of the day, we still know in the back of our mind that they're trying to get rid of conductors. So um, hmm. I just don't see it happening anytime soon, especially what after happened in Ohio. Because like I said, if it wasn't for conductors, conductor or whoever on the head end, conductor and and engineers working together, uh, people would have definitely been hurt or possibly killed. So. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about that crew. Then you you're saying they're saved. They saved lives. Yep. Like what? What was what could have been like the worst case scenario uh, had there not been? Like, had, were, were, obviously, they weren't asleep, asleep at the wheel because as soon as something went wrong, right. they, they acted immediately. Right. Like what, how bad? How bad could this? Have yeah. Been? So if the if the carriers had their way, there'd only be one man crew on that train. So they'd only be an engineer only. Now the crazy thing is, if it was only an engineer, let's say the engineer was rolling through his by himself, hit a hot box detector, um, and he went into emergency, he would literally have to stay there and wait for the expediter to get there. And the expediter is typically, from our understanding of how UP wanted to do it, the expediter would have been would have been responsible for, say, 50 to 100 miles, however far, worth the track within that territory. Well, if that guy's 50 miles away and you have a derailment in Palestine, Ohio, and it's on fire with tanker cars, I mean, what's the engineer going to do? You know, the the, the rules are if for the engineer to get down and take off walking, he has to secure his engines. And I believe that the pallet... A Palestine uh, Ohio train had two on the head end, so you'd actually have to tie those down, which takes time. But you know, you're probably looking at three or four minutes tying both of them down and then coming back, and then he can get down. That's too late, and uh, you know, he can get down. At least he could get down and tell you know, tone up dispatcher and say, "Hey, we got a fire." But as far as getting his engines uncoupled, um, you know, that's a lot to do in a short amount of time when you're trying to save your life and save innocent people's lives around you. So that would have been worst yeah. case scenario. So the worst case scenario would have been that either the engineer, you know, never saw fire just based on little bitty mirrors that he has, or, you know, he just went to emergency and he hit his, toned up his expiration. So, Hey, I went to emergency at mile post. So-and-so come up here and check it out. And it's meanwhile, it's on fire and it's blowing up behind him. Yeah. Cause it, again, we're, we're truck drivers. So I always have to like come back, come back to this as a truck driver. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're in an accident, your trailer flips over or whatever, it's literally right behind right. You, you. You look over your shoulder and you're like, Oh yeah, God, you right. see what's going yeah. on. But with a train, the thing's a mile and a half. The you know, what's the what's the longest train we do now? Like oh man, some mile? some of them I have. I remember uh, Jeremy Ferguson mentioned STB here. And I think he said there was a train that was close to over three miles long, going through Damn. somewhere up north. Yeah, that's crazy. Now I've never been on one that long. The longest train I've ever been on was this is when they started their little PSR uh, crap was back in 2019, 2018, and that was a thirteen thousand foot. So two and a half miles roughly somewhere around there close to it and uh so how, how much of a factor do you think psr did to contribute to a wreck like this um probably a lot i've you know their whole deal with 
notch restrictions, you know, not allowing the engineers to run the trains like they're supposed to, trip optimizer, which is the, you know, the the uh, automatic autopilot, so to speak, for, for a locomotive. And then, um, you know, the, the biggest thing I always hear engineers talk about is trailing tonnage. And it seems like when they build these trains, they put way more weight on the rear than they do on the head end, much like a truck. And it drives like crap, you know, and, and you're, you know, you're, you're all over the road and you can't keep it straight. Same thing for the engine, for engineers is, you know, when they're trying to keep that train together, when you're going up and down hills, you know, when, when they come, when they go down a hill and they start up, they have to speed up and get their train stretched out. Cause if not, that weight sits down in that hole and then it yanks the slack out all at once mm-hmm. to get a knock when you go into emergency. Um, you know, the, the PSR deal with them, super long trains, uh, trailing tonnage being an issue, uh, not enough power, um, and then notch restrictions. I think it definitely has a lot to do with um, with the derailments that's going on that we see. It seems like every day, like you mentioned, uh, the one yesterday in Texas where it hit the intermobile train, hit the truck driver. And, um, uh, you know, and, and CPSR goes further to just having longer trains and notch restrictions and fuel cons- conservation, all that stuff. Uh, PSR is all about efficiency. That's all it is. So there's goes back to your rushing again, rushing your car man and your inspections. Hurry up and get them done. We gotta get the train rolling. This train has to leave at this time, and a car man and mechanical department can't do their job um, like they're supposed to. So PSR definitely plays, in my opinion, definitely plays a pretty huge role into why we see so many more derailments today than we have in the past. Even though the derailments are down, I saw on Freightways the other day that the derailments are down, but the tra- the traveling miles are way down, like down 250 million miles a year but we're still having derailments like, you know, crazy versus, you know, 20 years ago. So, so I got a comment on my TikTok the other day. I was doing a little quick little overview of this. One person said there was roughly 1500 train derailments per year yep. in the U S is that accurate? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds about right. Um, I actually had that pulled up not too long ago. It was yesterday. I was reading, I was looking at the total, uh, derailments between, uh, you know, derailments per mile is what they, uh, consider it and um i can't remember the exact numbers like i said it, the numbers are down it's just you, you know so that's going to be the carrier's argument well the derailments are down but you're traveling less miles so you know 250 million miles pretty much roughly in that general area so there's is it down really <laughs> but it's yeah it's, always something obfuscate the numbers you know when, when, when it, yeah that's yeah right. well it, it, because derailment is like such a broad i mean it's, it's literally just a train coming off the track right so it could be anything as simple as like you know they hit a switch and you know didn't get back on the, the track correctly or you know all the way up to like what we've seen in, in palestine ohio right so I, I think they need like a better term for uh the, the major derailment yeah that's right yeah like this because 1500 is uh that's insane yeah it is and you know that's that's the only ones you know that are reported Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's plenty of derailments out there that aren't reported and, are, and it's slid under the rug and not not mentioned. Um, you know, if, and, and not typically those derailments that happen like that aren't life life threatening or, or threatening the public in any type of way. It's just a simple derailment. Uh, you know, maybe a car, you know, run through a switch or something like that, or, or and um, you know they can just pick that rail car back up and set it back down on the tracks and everything's fine. But there's a lot of stuff not reported. I think I read something on Freightways the other day also where the uh, unions are trying to fight for the anonymous uh, safety deal where they can you can go in and um, report any type of safety or close call um, mm. deals where that would allow the carriers to kind of see what they need to improve on. 
I think that's a great idea, but I wish the STB and the FRA and the NTSB would have access to those reports also, because then you can have your guys anonymously reporting why they can't inspect rail cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, protecting your everything CYA. Right. Um, and the last thing you want is you know to be retaliated against for speaking truth to power. Yep. Um, I, I start getting weird whenever I cover stuff like this, I'll, I'll get weird comments, um, on our social media stuff. And I take it, I look into the profiles and they're all like no profile picture or somebody with like, you know, a thousand comments, but it's all the same thing. Mm. And it's, it's no different here. Um, I, as soon as I start talking about, um, you know, precision rail, I get these comments that are like, Oh, it's not a big deal. It, it, the crews aren't being shrunk. And, and it, the little, all it takes is just a tiny little bit of pushback and they, clam up they, they lock their accounts or they delete everything wow and they go away so i'm, I'm wondering like what the hell are these like just on, on, on anonymous online trolls or are these like people like you know trying to you know work on the company yeah now? that's like what, what's the that's what i'm i'm sure that's what it is i'm really surprised i haven't had more of those i know there's company officials on my page but they don't really comment much but i do know that they're there listening and watching so <laughs> someone tiktok I can yeah because I, I, I got one right here it's like all I, I literally all i said was hey we got another crazy derailment it's, it's a wild week in the news we're gonna have joey from rail talk on mm-hmm. and we're gonna talk about you know precision rail scheduling mm-hmm. and this and that and, and half the comments are it's you know it's, it's psr not prs right. and then the other half is uh do you let's see it says do you know anything about precision rail or union rails crews are not getting shrunken according to joey who has never actually worked pr and i said okay have you by all means come on our show and talk. like you were willing to at least come on and talk with us none of these people are as soon as i say as soon as i reach an olive branch out and i'm saying okay cool whatever you want to talk about let's talk yeah. about it they just clam up lock their accounts delete everything right. and then uh <laughs> yeah that's go away. that's interesting that he that he mentions that i, I wonder when uh uh I wonder if he's been on my channel. I'm probably not. Let's see. Uh, well, this is this this was a lady's uh, comment under the name of Jesse. Oh, okay, Jesse. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's probably a lot of uh, a lot of uh, stuff going on with the companies. You know, definitely when it comes to media and and propaganda and and trying to save their <laughs> what little reputation they do have. There's probably a lot of that. You know, trying to shut us down. You know, I've gotten copyright strike stuff in the past and it's nothing to do with it's and it's so poorly done too like i would respect it more if it was like like just look at the history you know the 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 pinkertons and the union busting and the you know the the um rail wars in west virginia in like the 1800s like it it was some heavy stuff back then now it's literally just like an anonymous troll account you know saying mean things to me okay boohoo you Mm -hmm. know it's is, is that literally the best you got like to me that just shows you how desperate things are getting right, right. now. And they, they literally have nothing to stand on. So to me, it makes me like a lot more optimistic yeah. uh, about fighting this stuff going forward. Yep. That's right. Um, it's just funny that you mentioned, I was reading real quick. When was PSR implemented by NS? And uh, uh, when was this? This was posted on February 12th, 2019. I was there. <laughs> I, I yeah. was there for that one. And I remember it. I remember it. You know, I have I have my theory. I think I might mentioned it on the last podcast, uh, and it's probably why this guy is probably so salty with me. Um, NS did a pretty slick scheme with their implementation of PSR. You know, my whole theory behind that was is uh, in twenty when I hired in twenty seventeen, they were shorthanded like crazy, and then you had CSX with Hunter Harrison doing their little PSR deal, and CSX was doing really well, cutting headcount, operating ratios, going through the roof, and 
they were doing a lot better com compared to NS. So NS, I believe what they did was they already had the plan set up in probably 2017, 2018. And they overhired like crazy in 2017, 2018. And um, when they told their investors, oh, we're going to implement PSR in 2019. And then they just furloughed all those people they just hired to make it appear so much, that yep. they, oh, yeah, we're saving all kinds of money, but really they just overhired. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I think happened. I have no way of proving that, but it sounds like some snaky stuff that these carriers would do. It's no different than what we're seeing right now in Silicon Valley. You know, mm -hmm. they, they hired like crazy um, in the last five years. COVID kind of cooled the jets on that a little bit because they deal in ones and zeros and not physical mm -hmm. yeah, goods. Right. Um, but then once the economy started slowing down and I think Elon kind of put up a, a flag saying, Hey, check out what we can do. And when he bought Twitter, he slashed like 75% of the workforce yeah. and you know, Hey, the site's still up and running. So yeah. that was, that was kind of like a, a green flag to the rest of the companies of like, Oh, we can literally cut, you know, 90% of our workforce and things are fine. Yeah, that's right. Save <laughs> probably hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And that's, and that's it's it's one thing when, you know, okay, maybe the app isn't quite working as smoothly on my phone and, you know, I got to refresh the page every once in a while or maybe my DMs are screwed right. up. But when you're dealing with millions of tons of hazardous cargo that can explode when things go wrong, that that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, that's right. You can't slash, you can't slash workforces like, like what we're seeing and expect the same results over that's time. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's my biggest... I, I'm going to say quote, but the biggest thing that I, I talk about is the fact that these railroads uh, are uh, not even, that's not class one, it's your short lines also. Like I have a, a track right here behind my house, it's ATN. That's a short line. They only have an engineer on the head end. These these companies are willing to gamble with the innocent lives of the people that live around these tracks, banking on that they're not going to derail and have any type of ignition or explosions. But it's not a matter of if, it's when. And that's been proven time and time yeah. again. And, uh, you know, our, our government allows it to happen. And that's that's where they, they need to step in and stop them. So. But, you know, it's at, at the end of the day, I mean, wh what, can, what can I do? Only thing I can do is be a voice and just hope for the best because yeah. I have nothing else nothing else going for me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, think, I think voices like yours are important. You know, you're not in the industry anymore, thankfully. Yeah. Um, yeah, thankfully. But, so that gives you, like, that, that gives you the, the freedom to kind of speak your mind. Right. You know, your, your, your job isn't at risk for uh, saying what needs to be said. That's right, yeah. And, and yeah, your voices like yours are important. I've been told. Sorry, Rooster. I've been told several times. A guy shared my video on a railroad page on Facebook, and it's a huge, massive page. And that one of the guys commented and said, yeah, that guy's going to be fired. And I had to respond back and I said, I don't work for any of these companies no more, man. I'm good. And he was like, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the congressman trying to change this, you know, there's millions upon millions of lobbying dollars being shipped to Capitol oh, Hill yeah. daily on on this. Right. You know, they just went through the whole, uh, the whole break deal where they shot down of wanting to go to a different style of break on the rail cars and the Railroad companies like it's going to cost us billions of dollars to retrofit every rail car, every engine, you know, every piece mm -hmm. of equipment we have with these new brakes. It's, we'd rather spend a, two or three million on Capitol Hill and get this shot down. So, you know, it, yeah, it's that's right. Sad. Or just hand out 50 million. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sad. Yeah, and and when and when that equipment and that if but when that equipment does fail, you know they're looking at maybe a fifty million dollar casualty. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, versus billions of dollars investment. Yeah, that's uh, I don't know, man. I, something needs to be done. Hopefully, things will get get better in the future. I think uh, thankfully nobody was hurt in Ohio, but hopefully this is a uh, 
an eye opener for the government that they really need to get more involved. And they've let stuff go yeah. by for so long that it's time to, to wake up and uh, before anybody, innocent civilians or, and or kids. That's what I think of the most when, when we're going through super dense populated areas or when I used to. I mean, we've got kids everywhere. I've got two kids here at home. The last thing I'd want is to, to worry about their health due to uh, negligence of a, of a carrier. As we said, you know, our thoughts and prayers are out with the people east. Palestine, Ohio, and any of the, the other derailments, any accidents, you know, uh, you have, we'll be keeping watch on this. I know it's kind of been underreported in the mainstream media, you know, which is, you know, another reason for uh, the new wave of, of media journalists and, uh, you know, people getting news out like freight waves, you know, it's, it's another way to look at stuff. So, uh, that being said, my name's James Ristabone here with Justin Martin and Joey Cobb of Railroad Talk. Joey, where can people find you out on the internet nowadays? Uh, my, I actually made a Facebook group. So a Facebook group is Railroad Talk if you don't like being on the tube views. And uh, if, if on YouTube, of course, you can find me at Railroad Talk or YouTube.com slash Railroad Talk. And, uh, uploading a lot more frequently with all the crazy things that are going on. So if you're looking to work in the rail industry or you have someone you love or family member looking to work in the rail industry, you want to get an idea of what the life is like, that's the channel. That's that's really what it is. What the channel is based around as, as uh, I do cover news every now and then when something happens. Awesome. Awesome. And are, are you running some merch? You got a real cool hat you're wearing and, uh, I, uh, I may, I may yeah. need, I may, I may need to drive to Alabama and like swap some hats with you. Yeah. Yeah. I have some merch on the website and it's, it's, uh, thankfully, you know, I went, I went with a, a company where I can actually control the pricing. So I'm not here. I'm not selling merch to, to, <laughs> to make a huge killing. I ain't trying to do that. It was really more for the viewers to have something tangible, right? So you can actually get some, you pay money instead of just donating to the channel. You can actually buy something, that has something tangible. So yeah. Uh, RailroadTalk.com is a merch site. If anyone's interested, I really do appreciate any type of support you guys have. Awesome. All right, then, well, ladies and gentlemen, I guess we will catch you guys down the road next week. Bye.